0: When someone is having a heart attack, rapid defibrillation and high-quality CPR are essential interventions for survival. Each minute of delay decreases chance of survival by 7 to 10 percent. High-rise buildings pose a unique challenge for first responders trying to provide timely defibrillation or CPR. The number of people living in high-rise buildings continues to increase, and therefore there are more and more people at risk of delay should they need urgent medical care. I'm Dr. Matthew Stanbrook, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Ian Drennan, an advanced care paramedic and instructor in Toronto, and a researcher with RESCUE, a research program of the Lee ka Knowledge Institute at St. Michael's Hospital that works with emergency responders and seeks to improve outcomes for patients suffering, life-threatening trauma, and cardiac emergencies in the out-of-hospital setting. It is the largest research program of its kind in Canada. Ian is also a PhD candidate at the Institute of Medical Science at the University of Toronto. In their research article Ian and his colleagues compare the rate of survival after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest at different floors of high-rise buildings. They also looked at delay to reaching patients in high-rises. Ian welcome. Thanks very much. So first off tell us what motivated you to ask this research question. We thought it was an important
1: topic of research because over the over the last number of years there's there's been a significant increase in the the number of high-rise buildings that are being constructed as there continues to be, you know, an, an increased demand for affordable housing and rental properties, it appears that this trend will kind of continue moving in the uh, moving forward in the future. However, there's very little known about how this this changing landscape in, in these urban areas actually affects 911 9-1, response or patient care or any outcomes from from life-threatening emergencies. So there's actually a small body of literature that shows that high-rise buildings are associated with a, a delayed patient contact by 911 first responders. When they actually have to respond up to the higher floors and in some situations these delays were actually up to about four minutes or accounted for about 28 percent of the total 911 response time to actually get to the patient's side. Uh, However, none of this previous literature examined whether there's an association between the floor of patient contact and any survival from patients who have a cardiac arrest. So as more high-rise buildings are are built we thought it would be important to examine what, what impact this might have on patients who suffer cardiac arrest up on these higher floors. So in Canada each year, there's approximately uh, 40,000 out of hospital cardiac arrests and roughly 10%, depending on the area, uh, survive to actually leave the hospital. There's many factors that actually affect whether a patient will actually live or die uh, after a cardiac arrest. So things like immediate bystander interventions, CPR, uh, use of an AED, quicker 911 response times, these can all actually have a significant impact on patient outcomes. And for this reason, we wanted to examine a number of factors in relationship to the higher vertical vertical heights or the higher floors of, of patient contact, such as whether there was any differences in these bystander interventions, uh, whether, whether there was actually delays to patient contacts that we found within, our, within the 911 response system, and whether there was actually a difference between survival between the lower floors and the higher floors in the high-rise buildings. And finally, we were hoping to determine whether there were actually important variables that we could identify that were associated with this difference in survival.
0: So you wanted to look at outcomes of cardiac arrests among people living in high rises, which people haven't looked at before. So how did you go about doing that? Where did you get your data from and who did you study? So our primary outcome,
1: our primary objective was to examine the effect of this vertical height. Uh, we called it a vertical height, which is basically the difference between the lower floors and the higher floors in, in high rise buildings. Uh, and the, the effect this would actually have on survival to hospital discharge after cardiac arrests. So, in our, in our study, we actually used the third floor of the building as a cutoff between higher and lower floors. And this is a currently captured data point uh, on the approved government approved ambulance call reports that are currently filled out by paramedics in the field. So, that's why we use the, the third floor as a, as a cut point for uh, higher vertical heights. So, we used data from the Toronto RescueNet Epistry database which is a, a database that's housed at Rescue and St. Michael's Hospital. And it basically it collects pre-hospital and in-hospital data from consecutive cardiac arrests that occur in a number of regions within southern Ontario. So from this data set, we actually included a, a subset of cardiac arrests from the, from the FSU data set. Uh, in our study, that occurred either within the City of Toronto or the neighboring regional municipality of Peel. We used these regions as we determined that they actually had a, a higher population density, so more more high-rise buildings than some of the other regions, regions in the database. So we included all of the adults. So adult was defined as greater than 18 years of age. Uh, cardiac arrests, that were treated by 911 responders, which included both paramedics and the fire department because they have a, a tiered agreement. So they're both dispatched to cardiac arrests that occurred in these regions. And they had to have occurred in private residences. So our last inclusion criteria that the the cardiac arrests that we include, they had to have no obvious cause, such as traumas or drug overdoses or drownings, things like that. And therefore, they would be presumed to be of, of cardiac in nature. So we went through the database and from those regions, we included all the cardiac arrests that occurred between January 1st, 2007 and December 31st, 2012.
0: You've got all the cardiac arrests happening in the Toronto area, you're looking at all types of private residences, and you have data on uh, high-rise versus not, and uh, above floor three versus not, so that's a lot of stuff to work with. What did you find? What differences did you observe between cardiac arrests that happen on lower floors versus higher floors?
1: We actually found a couple of really interesting things between the cardiac arrests that occurred on the lower floors and the, the higher floors. So when we look at the patient characteristics of those who had a cardiac arrest lower than three floors compared to on or above three floors, uh, we know there's a significant difference in the proportion of patients that were actually found in an initial shockable rhythm uh, bet- between the floors. So initial shockable rhythm is perhaps, you know consistently in the, in the literature, it's perhaps the most important predictor of survival after cardiac arrest. So this was one important difference we actually found between the two groups. So in patients who had a cardiac arrest up, uh, on the lower floors, uh, 19% were found in initial shockable rhythm, and this compared to only 13% of the cardiac arrests on the higher floors that were actually found in a shockable rhythm. So that was one important difference we found but, uh, patient characteristics between between the two groups of patients. The second thing we found that was that although the 911 response time, so the time from the call that the call came into the dispatch center, to when the The first vehicle arrived on scene was not different between the two groups, there was an average of about 6.2 minutes. There was a significant delay to patient contact by first responders when they actually had to get up to the higher floors. So the time from arrival on the scene to when they actually got to the patient was almost a full two minutes longer on the higher floors. So it was three minutes versus 4.9 minutes when it occurred on the higher floors. So this was an important finding for, for a number of reasons. First, one of the important points uh, associated with this is that currently it is standard practice in most cardiac arrest research, at a hospital cardiac arrest research, to actually report and adjust for 911 response time, which is currently calculated from the time a call is received by the dispatch to when the vehicle actually gets unseen. But this time doesn't actually take into account this additional, any additional time it might take the first responders to get to the patient. So as we continue to build all these high-rises and these, these bigger and larger buildings, and there's, you know, there's further distances for the 911 responders to actually travel, it, it, may be, it may become more important in future research to actually start to account for this delay to patient contact rather than just reporting the time the actual vehicles get on scene.
0: So you found that no matter uh, whether it was a high-rise or low-rise or a house, the paramedics all got there at the same time as we would expect. But uh, on higher floors, it took them an an extra two minutes to get there. And the rhythm that patients were in when they found them were substantially less likely to be shockable on high floors when they got there. So what happened to the patients after that? What did you find out about the success of resuscitation and the outcomes of patients uh, on higher versus lower floors?
1: Yeah, so good question. So a couple of interesting things we found there as well. So from our primary outcome, based on the floor of, of patient contact, Uh, Overall, we had a survival of 3.8% in all of our patients in our population. However, there was a statistically significant difference between survival if the cardiac arrest occurred on higher floors versus lower floors. And again, that cut point was was the third floor of patient contact. So on the higher floors, the survival rate was actually only 2.6%. Well, on the lower floors, so any any cardiac arrest that occurred lower than three floors, we actually found a survival of 4.2%. And so when we put this into a, a regression analysis and we adjusted for, for some of the other common predictors of survival, collectively known as the Utstein variables, so things like age, the sex of the patient, whether they had the, the cardiac arrest was witnessed by a bystander, if the bystander performed any CPR, and then the, the initial rhythm, we found that the floor of patient contact, again dichotomized by the, the third floor, was still significantly associated with survival to discharge. And there was an odds ratio of 0.70 for decreased survival on higher floors.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you the question that everyone's going to have on their minds as soon as they hear this result or we'll read this paper. If they or loved ones of, of theirs live in, in an apartment or a high rise, they're going to be wondering, OK, how high do you have to be before this increased risk of not surviving a cardiac arrest kicks in? Now, your data were dichotomized at floor three because that's how it's recorded on the emergency records. But you also had the opportunity to look at the exact floor, didn't you? So let me ask you about that. Is there a threshold floor above which, you know, that that risk really kicks in? Or is this a continuous effect? Really, from the ground up, uh, there's this continuous risk floor by floor. What did your data suggest about that?
1: Yeah, in, interestingly enough, So we, you're right, we, we, we did have an opportunity to go back, and we performed a bunch of, of secondary analyses, and one of them was to look at the the floor based on the individual floor of contact. So again, not dichotomized by, by the initial variables we had, but we went back in and looked at the data based on the pickup address, and we could determine uh, which floor of patient contact or for the exact floor that the cardiac arrest occurred on. And we actually found a pretty interesting spread to our data. So we had a range, there was a range in the data from, obviously, cardiac arrest occurring on the first floor, all the way up to the highest floor that we had was the 48th floor in our data set. Uh, but the mean was actually only the second floor. And interestingly, in our data, only 0.9%, uh, two of the 216 cardiac arrests that occurred above the 16th floor survived. And interesting, this is interesting, because this is actually the definition that's used for threshold to define medical futility. So and that was at the 16th floor. And then there was actually no survivors that survived above the 25th floor. So at a 30 cardiac arrest above 25 floors, uh, there was nobody that survived above that time point as well. It appears that even though we our initial analysis was based on the, the third floor, that if you, if you break it out into individual floors, that there's a stepwise progression. As you get higher and higher, That the same relationship seems to, to hold based on the individual floor of contact. And when we plug that into our secondary analyses uh as the re- the regression analysis uh there was a, a significant association between each individual floor of patient contact and a decreased survival as it went up floor by floor
0: Wow, so that's going to give a lot of people pause. you live in high rise buildings who might <laughs> be at risk for for sudden death there you know it, it goes up the higher you are and above sixteen your your chances are are not so great there now. Let's look at the converse. There, people listening or reading, sitting in houses. They may be thinking, "Well, this doesn't apply to me." But you did look at houses, didn't you? Is there any evidence that this phenomenon also applies to houses that have more than one level?
1: So, so we did. We did look at uh, as one of our secondary analysis. We did look at the, the difference between houses and apartments. So, our overall analysis was within all private residence. So then we broke them up based on whether you lived in an apartment and condo, or it was a house or townhouse. And when we analyzed that data, uh, it, the same relationship seemed to hold true for the apartments and 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 condominiums that the higher up you went, the the worse survival you had. However, we couldn't find the same relationship in houses and townhouses. So th- when we looked at the townhouses and and houses separately, um, their survival up on or above the third floor was one point four percent. Uh, and this was compared to 4.1 below that. However, it was not statistically significant because as you can imagine in a house townhouse, there was relatively few cases that actually occurred on or above a third floor of the house townhouse compared to the number that occurred below that. So uh, the the data for the houses and townhouses was just, it was it was skewed so that there was nothing we could find uh, significant in, in those populations.
0: So perhaps some reassurance for home dwellers there. <laughs> So give us all some hope here. This is obviously a, a serious thing for, you know, uh, many older people live in live in high-rise buildings, have sold their houses, downsized, condos popping up all over. What can we do about this problem? What changes could we make that might improve survival in high-rise buildings?
1: Yeah, so I think, luckily, I think there are some things that we can do, and we did. I think we, we had a couple explanations for why we see this relationship in the first place uh, between the floor of contact and survival. So first, as we mentioned before, there was a... A delayed patient contact by the 911 first responders when they had to get to the higher floors. And so once the patient collapses in cardiac arrest, you know, without immediate bystander CPR and defibrillation by an AED, the patient can rapidly deteriorate, like we spoke about, from a shockable to a non-shockable rhythm. This was actually what we found in our study: was that the higher floors had much less shockable rhythms. Uh, a second possible explanation for the decreased survival that we that we thought about. Is that although the nine one one responders, the time it takes the nine one one responders to reach the patient is important, there may also be an equivalent delay now on the extrication side from the patient's apartment out to the ambulance and then to the hospital. So once a decision has been made by the first responders to say, okay, we're going to transport this patient to the hospital, then there has to be a little bit of a shift of focus that occurs from you know solely focusing on you know just good quality you know, fast deep chest compressions to now also making you know a bunch of decisions around how and when they get the patient to the ambulance. And this often means unavoidable interruptions in in CPR or, you know, at least lower quality CPR while you have the patient being lifted up onto a stretcher or transferred and then taken out of the building, whether by elevator or stairs, where sometimes, you know, logistically, it's not even physically possible to, to perform CPR for a period of time. So it's unknown really what the quality of CPR is like during the time period of extrication and if this has any impact on patient outcomes. But we did identify, I think, a, a number of potentially modifiable Factors that could help improve survival in some of these situations. So it's well known that or CPR and rapid defibrillation with an AED can almost more than double survival from cardiac arrests. However, the the use of AEDs in our in our study was actually extremely low. So only zero point four percent of these cardiac arrests actually got an AED applied to them in these in these situations. So one of the things uh, I think we can do is to develop initiatives to increase awareness of the importance of bystander CPR and increase the rate of CPR and AED usage in, in these private residences. So one important factor to consider might be standardized placements of AEDs in high-rise buildings. This would allow easy access to AEDs for bystanders. It could either mean, you know, placing AEDs on a, on a standard floor as you go up the building. You could say, you know, every fifth floor we now have an AED on or somewhere that people would know where to find an AED when the situation arose that they might need one. Another option that might be interesting would be to place AEDs actually on the elevators themselves so they could have, you know, rapid delivery up to the floor of the cardiac arrest itself. So this might actually save minutes from someone having to run down to find an AED if you just press the elevator button and the AED was kind of brought up to you. And then you it would also save that you could only have that, you know, one AED per elevator and it would it would service the, the entire building. So that's one thing I think that we could do is trying to improve the the rates of bystander CPR and improve the rate of AED usage in these in these situations. Second thing I think we need to do is ensure that there's some sort of building response plan in place that includes, you know, discussions with building tenants and maybe the building tenant organizations to ensure first maybe that individuals, you know, and maybe most individuals can be trained in CPR and AED use. Perhaps also including training for building security staff to ensure that there's always someone a bystander willing to perform CPR uh, with an AED that's close by. I think part of the response plan also has to include ensuring that 911 responders have easy and immediate access to buildings and elevators to minimize any delays to the patient. So this might include notification to security of a call to 911 to ensure that you know the elevators are down waiting on the ground floor for first responders. And this would include both firefighters and paramedics, because often they may show up at different times, but making sure the elevator is readily available for both of them. And that there's no barriers to actually getting into the building. So sometimes you know sometimes you'll get to a, an apartment building and the the doors might be locked or there might be no one that answers the phone to actually let you into an apartment building and then you have to wait for the elevators who are are carrying people up and down on the floors to actually come down and all these can can start to to add up to these these delays that we're seeing to actually reaching the patient on the higher floors
0: So now, Ian, you're a paramedic yourself. I presume you've been in situations where you've been called to resuscitate a cardiac arrest in someone on a high floor. Do these results change the way that you're going to approach situations like that in future in any way?
1: Great question. Um, From my experiences, I think a a lot of what what I see out on the road kind of mimics some of the, the recommendations we have from the paper here in that a lot of the the delays I think have to come from you know the pre-planning type stages for for the cardiac arrest, right? So by the time the, the first responders get there, a lot of the time it's it's stuff like, you know, there's no access to actually getting into the building. So this is something that would have to be done kind of up front to make sure that the you know, the door's unlocked or you know there's someone they can answer a phone to to let people in or that the elevators are down waiting. So sometimes you, there's a significant delay to even get on an elevator to actually get up to, to see a patient when you arrive on scene. And so these are all things that actually I, I think are kind of common, um, unfortunately, when you get out into the real-life situation. A lot of these things tend to happen on a regular basis. So stuff like that, I think, has to be addressed in advance planning before the 911 call uh, is actually placed. But as far as the individual care, as a paramedic, when I get up to the floors, I think it's something that paramedics should be aware of that this occurs and to see if they can, you know, maybe there's some ways that they can they can consider to, to get to the patient a little bit quicker.
0: Well, these are some very salient findings you've uncovered, and uh, thank you uh, for sharing them with us today.
1: Uh, thanks very much for the opportunity to discuss the results of our study.
0: I've been speaking with Ian Drennan, advanced care paramedic and instructor in Toronto and a PhD candidate with RESCUE, Lee Cashin Knowledge Institute at St. Michael's Hospital and the Institute of Medical Science at the University of Toronto. To read the research article he co-authored, visit cmaj.ca.